Mormon Discussions and its lineup of great podcasts is about helping Latter-day Saints like you tackle deeper, complex issues within Mormonism. All financial support goes directly towards keeping these podcasts alive and supporting listeners like you. To support the programs on this podcast, please consider becoming a premium subscriber. Or making a donation at mormondiscussions.org. Again, that's Mormon Discussions, plural with an S on the end, dot org. Donate today and support programs like Mormon Discussion, Radio Free Mormon, Mormon Awakenings, The Mormon Wellness Project, Mormon History Podcast, Marriage on a Tightrope, and others. If these programs benefit you and you want to see these continue, please consider making an annual donation starting today. All donations are tax-exempt inside the United States and go towards keeping the podcast alive. One, two, three. Testing one, two, three. This is Radio Free Mormon on the air, broadcasting behind enemy lines. Tonight's episode General Conference Death March. Well, it's been a little over three months now since the April General Conference of 2018. I've been meaning to do some podcasts about that General Conference, but have been delayed due to late breaking issues relating to McKenna Denson's lawsuit against the LDS Church and my efforts to obtain from the BYU Police Department unredacted copies of the police reports, as well as a copy of the audio-taped interview with Joseph Bishop, conducted by the BYU Police. But now I have a little bit of time to go back over my notes from April General Conference. You know, we as Mormons are frequently told by our leaders that the subjects they come up with to speak about in general conference are independently arrived at. They come up with their own subjects, but that miraculously, through the workings of the Holy Ghost, there will nevertheless be certain patterns of subjects that appear in general conference, and the observant viewer can detect those patterns. Well, I have gone back over and read and or listened to every word of General Conference from April 2018, every word from every talk from every speaker over the course of the 10 hours of General Conference. And indeed, I have seen certain patterns emerge as well. One of those patterns has to do with the fact that nobody, and I mean nobody, seems to be being healed by the power of the priesthood anymore in the LDS Church, at least not so as you could tell from listening to the leaders of the church speak in general conference. Instead, there is a litany of time after time after time and story after story after story of members of the church who do not get healed from their afflictions, their diseases, their accidents, but instead die, die, die. That is the constant refrain from this past general conference, and that is why I entitled this episode General Conference Death March. One of the things that appealed to me so much in my early days as a member of the LDS Church was the theology of the LDS Church, because when it comes to the teachings of the LDS Church and the theology on which it is based, it seems to me that the LDS Church wins every argument, hands down. And by that I mean when you compare the teachings of the LDS Church 
with the teachings of other Christian denominations, I find the teachings of the LDS Church to be more attractive, more rational, more faith-promoting than the teachings of other Christian religions. Now, that's just my personal opinion, but I don't expect that I'm the only one who feels that way. One of those teachings has to do with the priesthood of God, that the LDS Church is the only church on the face of the earth that has men in it that can officiate in the ordinances of the gospel, and that because they have the power of the priesthood, those ordinances are effective, both here and in eternity. For example, if a priesthood holder baptizes somebody into the LDS Church, then that baptism washes their sins away, and it is done because of the power of the priesthood. Certainly the atonement of Jesus Christ figures into it, but it is made effective by the power of the priesthood. People who do not have the priesthood could baptize somebody all day long, and it would not wash their sins away because they do not have the power of the priesthood. Similarly, the LDS Church teaches that by that power of the priesthood, today, as in days of old, in the 21st century, just as in the 1st century, people who are afflicted or hurt or damaged or injured in some way can be healed by the power of the priesthood. That is the teaching of the LDS Church, and it is an attractive teaching of the LDS Church. What I discovered as I progressed through my 40 years in Mormonism, however, is that the theory of the LDS Church and the teachings of the LDS Church is often very different from the reality of the LDS Church. Although the LDS Church teaches that it has priesthood power to heal people, the reality seems to be that nobody is getting healed by the power of the priesthood. And this difference between the theory of the LDS Church and the reality of the LDS Church is illustrated in no place better than in the talks given in the April 2018 General Conference. The Saturday morning session, the Saturday afternoon session, the General Priesthood session, the Sunday morning session, and the Sunday afternoon session, there is at least one, if not more, stories about people who are not healed by the power of the priesthood, by people who die anyway, regardless of the fact that the church has the priesthood and the power to heal. And on the other side of the equation, there is not one story of a person being healed by the power of the priesthood. When I counted them all up, there are 11 stories of people who die that were told in general conference versus zero stories of people who were healed. So by the end of general conference, the score in the game of priesthood power to heal versus no priesthood power to heal was 0 to 11. It was a shutout. And as if this general conference were designed to show the difference between the theory of the LDS Church versus the reality of the LDS Church in this regard, the very first talk given in the Saturday morning session by President M. Russell Ballard, president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, titled Precious Gifts from God, lays forth the theory of the LDS Church. In this first talk, President Ballard talks about the well-worn metaphor from the New Testament about faith as a mustard seed. If you have faith as a mustard seed, you will be able to do anything, including moving mountains. Well, you would think if you could move mountains, you could at least heal somebody who's sick. This is the theory of the LDS Church. And here are President Russell Ballard's own words. 
Several years ago, I was visiting the Holy Land as we drove by a mustard plant. The director of the BYU Jerusalem Center asked if I ever had seen mustards, a mustard seed. I hadn't, so we stopped. He showed me the seeds from the mustard plant. They were surprisingly small. I then remember Jesus' teachings. For verily I say unto you, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. So not only can you remove mountains with faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, you can also do anything, which would presumably include, I don't know, healing somebody by the power of the priesthood? As if to cement his point, Elder Ballard throws in the following quote from the Apostle Paul. We should remember Paul's declaration, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And the consistent teaching of the LDS Church throughout its history, including up to the present day, is that by the power of the priesthood, people can be healed. That is one of the ordinances of the priesthood, is the laying on of hands for the healing of the sick and the afflicted. And yet what we will find out is that Elder Ballard's declaration about all things being possible is more of a tease than anything else. Because what unspools after this, throughout every single session of General Conference, is story after story after story of people who are not healed by the power of the priesthood, but of people who simply die. So whether this is a case of no power in the priesthood being present in the LDS Church, or no faith even as the grain of a mustard seed being present in the LDS Church, either way you look at it, it seems troubling. Story number one in the General Conference Death March comes not long after Elder Ballard. It is a story told in the first session of Saturday morning General Conference. It is a story told by Elder Larry J. Echohawk regarding a tragic story that happened to a member of his family. Play the tape. On a December night in 1982, my wife Terry and I were awakened by a phone call to our home in Pocatello, Idaho. As I answered the phone, I heard only sobbing. Finally, my sister's struggling voice said, Tommy is dead. A 20-year-old drunk driver, speeding at more than 85 miles per hour, recklessly ran a stoplight in a suburb of Denver, Colorado. He crashed violently into the car driven by my youngest brother, Tommy, instantly killing him and his wife, Joan. They were returning home to a young daughter after a Christmas party. Now, this story is not anything to be made light of, and my intent here is not to make fun of such a tragic story. My only point here is in noting that this is a story of death, and it is the first story in the General Conference Death March. God cannot be bothered to change the course of this drunk driver. He cannot be bothered 
to put the drunk driver in a taxi cab instead of behind the wheel of a car. God cannot be bothered to change the course of Tommy, Elder Echohawk's younger brother. God seems to be nowhere in sight. And so Elder Echohawk will take this horrible tragedy where God is nowhere to be seen and turn it into a story about forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is an extremely important principle, and I think that Elder Echohawk's story in that regard is commendable. But the fact is that the only reason that forgiveness has to become the lesson of the story is because God could not be troubled to save Tommy's life. Tommy dies. God is nowhere present. Therefore, the miracle in the story has to be forgiveness because there is no miracle to save Tommy's life. Story number two is still in the Saturday morning session of General Conference. It is from a talk by Elder Neil Anderson titled The Prophet of God. And it is a story, interestingly enough, that involves none other than President Russell M. Nelson, who as an apostle of Jesus Christ could not find the priesthood power necessary to heal his own daughter. Play the tape. Those who know him well would speak of President Nelson facing the difficulties of life with faith and courage. When cancer took the life of his 37-year-old daughter, Emily, leaving a loving husband and five small children, I heard him say, I was her father, a medical doctor, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I had to bow my head and acknowledge, not my will, but thine be done. Once again, I'm not here to make fun of the situation. This is a horrible tragedy for President Nelson. It's a horrible tragedy for his daughter. It's a horrible tragedy for his daughter's husband and her children. But the reason this is a horrible tragedy is because she was not healed. And the facts lying behind this story are that as a daughter of an apostle, she received multiple priesthood blessings. Cancer is a protracted and debilitating disease. And during the time period from when she was first diagnosed to the time she passed away, we all know that she received multiple priesthood blessings, but none of them worked. Modern apostles in the LDS Church pattern themselves after Peter and the other apostles in the New Testament. They claim to have the same witness as those apostles. They claim to have the same priesthood power as those apostles. But in Acts, we read Peter as saying, Gold and silver have I none, but what I have give I freely unto you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, arise and walk. But that's not what President Nelson says. President Nelson has to paraphrase Peter and say, in effect, Gold and silver have I a lot of, but the power to heal you have I none. Story number three in the General Conference Death March occurs in the Saturday afternoon session of General Conference. It is a story told by Elder Taylor G. Godoy of the Seventy. Now, English is not Elder Godoy's first language, and it's a little bit difficult to understand what he's saying. He launches off his talk with this story. It's rather brief. What he says is this. A few years ago, my friends had a beautiful baby named Brigham. After his birth, Brigham was diagnosed with a rare condition called Hunter Syndrome, which sadly meant that Brigham would have a short life. 
Well, yes, it sadly means that because it's a tacit admission that there is no priesthood power to heal Brigham from any condition, including Hunter syndrome. Nevertheless, Elder Godoy goes on. One day, while Brigham and his family were visiting the temple grounds, Brigham pronounced a particular phrase. Twice, he said, one more day. The very next day, Brigham passed away. Here's that story in Elder Godoy's own words. A few years ago, my friends had a beautiful baby named Brigham. After his birth, Brigham was diagnosed with a rare condition called Hunter syndrome, which suddenly meant that Brigham would have a short life. One day, while Brigham and his family were visiting the temple grounds, Brigham pronounced a particular phrase. Twice he said, one more day. The very next day, Brigham passed away. So from this story, we learn that although Brigham was somehow miraculously given the power to predict the day of his death, there was no priesthood power to postpone the day of his death. Story number four comes from Elder Dale Renland of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Here's what he has to say about the miraculous healing power of the priesthood. Let me illustrate. In 1999, a young man named Todd collapsed from a ruptured blood vessel in his brain. Although Todd and his family were members of the church, their activity had been sporadic, and none had experienced the blessings of the temple. On the last night of Todd's life, his mother, Betty, sat at his bedside stroking his hand and said, Todd, if you really do have to go, I promise I'll see to it that your temple work gets done. The next morning, Todd was declared brain dead. In this story, perhaps it's understandable why Todd was not healed by the power of the priesthood. After all, his activity in the church had been sporadic and he had not been to the temple. It almost seems like Elder Renland is making excuses for why it is that Todd died and why it was he was not going to be healed. After all, we know from the New Testament that Jesus Christ himself healed only those who were righteous and obedient. Oh, wait a second. Never mind. Story number five comes from the priesthood session of General Conference. It is a story told by Elder D. Todd Christofferson, and it's a story that goes back exactly 100 years to the year 1918. It's a story that relates to Brother George Goats, G-O-A-T-E-S, who was a beet farmer in Lehigh, Utah. In this story, we do not have an account of one person not being healed by the priesthood. Instead, we have an account of four people not being healed by the power of the priesthood, and those would be four of George Goats' children, or more precisely, one of George Goats' children and three of George Goat's grandchildren who were killed in the influenza epidemic of 1918. That would be the same influenza epidemic that took the life of President Joseph F. Smith in that same year. Here's the story in Elder D. Todd Christofferson's own words. It's a bit of a long story, but listen as closely as you might. I think you will have trouble detecting any power in the priesthood to heal any of George Goat's children or grandchildren who were stricken with influenza. Play the tape. 
1918, Brother George Goetz was a farmer who raised sugar beets in Lehigh, Utah. Winter came early that year and froze much of his beet crop in the ground. For George and his young son, Francis, the harvest was slow and difficult. Meanwhile, an influenza epidemic was raging. The dreaded disease claimed the lives of George's son, Charles, and three of Charles' small children, two little girls and a boy. In the course of only six days, a grieving George Goats made three separate trips to Ogden, Utah, to bring the bodies home for burial. Let me just break in a minute to say that this story happens in a heavily Mormon-populated community, if not exclusively Mormon-populated community. It is obvious from the context that each of these four people must have received priesthood blessings in order to heal them from the influenza, and it is also obvious that none of those priesthood blessings worked. So why is D. Todd Christofferson telling this story? Well, he's going to put a positive spin on it, but the positive spin has nothing to do with the priesthood power of God to heal. It simply has to do with the help in harvesting the beets that George Goats received from his sympathetic neighbors. At the end of this terrible interlude, George and Francis hitched up their wagon and headed back to the beet field. On the way, they passed wagon after wagon load of beets being hauled to the factory, driven by neighborhood farmers. As they passed by, each driver would wave a greeting, Hiya, Uncle George. Sure sorry, George. Tough break, George. You've got a lot of friends, George. On the last wagon was freckle-faced Jasper Rolfe. He waved a cheery greeting and called out, That's all of them, Uncle George. Brother Goats turned to Francis and said, I wish it was all of ours. When they arrived at the farm gate, Francis jumped down off the big red beet wagon and opened the gate as his father drove onto the field. George pulled up, stopped the team, and scanned the field. There wasn't a sugar beet in the whole field. Then it dawned on him what Jasper Rolfe meant when he called out, That's all of them, Uncle George. George got down off the wagon, picked up a handful of the rich brown soil he loved so much, and then a beet top, and he looked for a moment at these symbols of his labor as if he couldn't believe his eyes. Then he sat down on a pile of beet tops. This man who had brought four of his loved ones home for burial in the course of only six days, made caskets, dug graves, and even helped with the burial clothing. This amazing man who had never faltered nor flinched nor wavered throughout this organizing ordeal. One presumes here Elder D. Todd Christofferson meant agonizing ordeal, not organizing ordeal. Throughout this organizing ordeal, sat down, sat down on a pile of beet tops and sobbed like a little child. Then he arose and wiped his eyes, looked up at the sky and said, Thanks, Father, for the elders of our ward. 
Well, it would be nice at this point in the story if George Goats could look up to the sky and thank God for healing his son and his son's three little children, but that's not going to happen because even in this story from a hundred years ago, there appears to be no priesthood power to heal in spite of the claims of the church to the contrary. Story number six also occurs in the priesthood session, and this one is by President Henry B. Iring in his talk titled Inspired Ministering. This story also goes back to the time of the saints in early Utah and actually deals with some saints who are crossing the plains to Utah. Notice here the absolute absence of priesthood healing and instead a miracle that is defined in a very different way. Play the tape. As the saints moved across the plains, their care for each other was organized in companies. One of my paternal great-grandfathers was returning from his mission in what, was, what is now Oklahoma when he met a company on the trail. He was so weak with disease that he and his companion were on their backs in a little wagon. So we have two Mormon missionaries returning from their mission to Utah they are so weak with disease, they are on their backs in the back of their wagon. But as fortune would have it, they run into a group of Latter-day Saints who are heading west to Utah. So what does the leader of the wagon train of Mormons do? Does he heal them by the power of the priesthood? No. Instead, the leader of the company sent two young women to help whoever might be in that forlorn wagon. One of them a young sister who had been converted in Switzerland, took a look at one of the missionaries and felt compassion. He was saved by that company of saints. Well, he may have been saved by that company of saints, but he was not healed by the priesthood by any of that company of saints. Instead, as the story goes on, this young man has to recover slowly on his own. He recovered enough to walk the rest of the way to Salt, the Salt Lake Valley with the young rescuer by his side. They fell in love and married. He became my great-grandfather, Henry Eyring, and she my great-grandmother, Maria Bomley Eyring. Years later, when people remarked at the great difficulty of moving across the continent, she said, oh no, it wasn't hard. Well, we walked. We talked the whole way about what a miracle it was that we had both found the, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. It was the happiest time I can remember. So you see, the miracle is not that the young man was healed by the power of the priesthood because he was not. Instead, the miracle is redefined as both these young people having found the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is a miracle that requires no priesthood power and that is the only kind of miracle we are apparently going to hear about in General Conference. Now we enter into the Sunday morning session of General Conference with story number seven told by Elder Massimo DeFeo of the Seventy in his talk titled, Pure Love, the True Sign of Every True Disciple of Jesus Christ. This story involves his mother, who though struggling with cancer, is not healed, and yes, she dies. Spoiler alert, his mother dies. Play the tape. One day, many years ago, I visited my mother who was struggling with cancer. I knew that she was going to die. 
Okay, now wait a second. Why does he know that his mother is going to die? The reason that he knows his mother is going to die is because he has an absolute testimony that the power of the priesthood which he holds has no ability to heal her from the cancer. That is why he knows that his mother is going to die. I knew that she was going to die, but I was concerned that she was suffering. I didn't say anything, but knowing me well, she said, I see that you are concerned. Well, of course he's concerned. This is his mother who he loves dearly. She's dying of cancer. So why doesn't he say, Mom, can I give you a priesthood blessing and heal you? No, instead we go into a story about how he teaches her to pray instead of giving her a healing blessing. And by the way, this is the part of the story that clues us into the fact that he was a member of the church at the time the story happened. He's able to teach her how to pray. He's just not able to heal her by the priesthood. Going on. Then, to my surprise, she asked me with a feeble voice, Can you teach me how to pray? I want to pray for you. I know you start by saying, Dear Heavenly Father, but then what should I say? As I knelt next to her bed and she prayed for me, I felt a love never felt before. It was simple, true, pure love. Although she didn't know about the plan of salvation, she had in her heart her personal plan of love, the plan of love of a mother for her son. She was in pain, struggling to even find the strength to pray. But the one thing I'm not going to do is put my hands on her head and bless her and heal her by the power of the priesthood. That is the element that is glaringly missing from this story. Going on. I could barely hear her voice, but I surely felt her love. I remember thinking, how can someone who is in such great pain pray for someone else? She is the one in need. Then the answer came clearly to my mind. Pure love. She loved me so much that she forgot about herself. In her most critical hour, she loved me more than herself. So a story about his mother not being healed by the priesthood instead becomes a story about the pure love that she has for her son. She has enough love for her son to pray for him even though he does not have enough power to heal her. I'm sorry if this begins to sound biting on my part. I don't mean it that way. But after a while, in this death march, it starts to become aggravating that a church with leaders, every one of these speakers who is a man, claims to have the priesthood and claims to have the priesthood power to heal. And yet none of them can seem to priesthood up and actually do the job. Story number eight is also from the Sunday morning session. President Henry B. Eyring, who, because he's a member of the First Presidency, gets to give more than one talk in general conference and therefore gets to tell more than one story about people not being healed. Here's his next story about somebody not being healed by the power of the priesthood. Play the tape. We all experience tragedy during which we need the reassurance of the Spirit. I felt it one day as I stood with my father in a hospital. 
We watched my mother take a few shallow breaths and then no more. As we looked on her face, she was smiling as the pain left. After a few silent moments, my father spoke first. He said, A little girl has gone home. A little girl has gone home. Well, I suppose that's a nice sentiment to have when your wife passes away, who is obviously in pain. Another sentiment that a person in that situation might have had is, why the hell didn't the priesthood heal her? I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only member of the church who looks at these stories and asks these kinds of questions. But nevertheless, there is another story of somebody not healed by the priesthood. Now, I understand that nobody can live forever. Nobody can continue to be healed by the power of the priesthood so that they never die. But it would be nice to hear one story, just one story, of somebody being healed by the power of the priesthood. Instead, we have the General Conference Death March of 2018. The next story is story number nine, also from the Sunday morning session. This comes from our new president, President Russell M. Nelson, who tells us a story of priesthood power not healing, and of another family member, this time his wife, succumbing to illness, in spite of being married to a church leader and presumably having the best priesthood blessings available. Play the tape. In 1945, while I was in medical school, I married Dancil White in the Salt Lake Temple. In 2005, after nearly 60 years of marriage, my dear Dancel was unexpectedly called home. For a season, my grief was almost immobilizing. But the message of Easter and the promise of resurrection sustained me. Once again, this is a tragic story that I do not want to make light of. I am sure that the grief was overwhelming to President Nelson when his first wife passed away in 2005. Nevertheless, I cannot help observing that this is the second family member that President Nelson has been unable to heal through the power of the priesthood. And to have the president of the LDS Church batting 0 for 2 on priesthood blessings gives me a little bit of concern about how much power in the priesthood remains in the LDS Church. Now moving into the Sunday afternoon session, we have the final two stories, stories number 10 and 11. The first of these stories of no healing will come from Elder Holland. Elder Holland's story is similar to the one about George Goats. We have a faithful member of the church who loses someone dear to them because they cannot be healed by the power of the priesthood. And yet the story then begins to focus not on the absence of any power to heal, but on how good his home teacher was to take care of him after the awful event. Play the tape. Last January 14th, a Sunday, just a little after 5 p.m., my young friends Brett and Kristen Hamlin were chatting at their home in Tempe, Arizona, after Brett's day serving in the bishopric and Kristen's busy day caring for five children. Suddenly, Kristen a seemingly successful survivor of breast cancer the previous year, fell unresponsive. A call to 911 
brought an emergency team trying desperately to revive her. The call to 911 makes sense, but where in this story is there a priesthood blessing? A priesthood blessing from this member of the bishopric, a priesthood blessing that we are taught in the church can and will heal someone who is in just such a situation as Kristen was. Going on. As Brett prayed and pleaded, he quickly placed just two other telephone calls. Here, Brett does what we would expect. He prays and he pleads for the life of his wife. But neither the praying nor the pleading is of any effect. It is not clear whether Brett gave his wife a priesthood blessing at this point, because according to standard Mormon practice, it takes two holders of the Melchizedek priesthood to give a priesthood blessing. Is there anyone else he could call who is a Melchizedek priesthood holder who could come to his house immediately in order to administer to his wife and bless her to be healed? Going on. As Brett prayed and pleaded, he quickly placed just two other telephone calls. One to his mother, requesting her help with the children. The other to Edwin Potter, his home teacher. Please note how Elder Holland at this point deftly shifts attention away from the failure of the prayer and the pleading to get any response and now shifts focus to the home teacher, Edwin Potter. The latter conversation in its entirety went as follows. Edwin, noting caller ID, said, Hey, Brett, what's up? Brett's near-shouted response was, I need you here now. Now, those familiar with Mormon priesthood blessings might think that Brett is calling Edwin to come over quickly so they could jointly bless and administer to his wife and heal her. But such is not the case in this story. In fewer minutes than Brett could count, his priesthood colleague was standing at his side. Fantastic. This is great news. Now Brett has his priesthood colleague at his side and they can bless his wife and heal her. But strangely, that doesn't appear in the story. Instead, his priesthood colleague begins doing other things. Helping with the children and then driving Brother Hamlin to the hospital behind the ambulance carrying his wife. Now wait a second. If he got there before the ambulance left with Brett's wife, surely they had enough time to give her a priesthood blessing. If only somebody had had the power of the priesthood and could have blessed his wife so that she could live, then the rest of the story would not have turned out as bleakly as it does. There, less than 40 minutes after she had first closed her eyes, the physicians pronounced Kristen dead. Sorry, Kristen. No priesthood healing for you. But at least your death gives Edwin the opportunity to leap into action to be super helpful doing things other than healing you with your husband. As Brett sobbed, Edwin simply held him in his arms and cried with him for a long, long time. Well, not as good as giving his wife a blessing and healing her, but I guess it'll have to do. Then leaving Brett to grieve with other family members who'd gathered, Edwin drove to the bishop's home to tell him what had just transpired. Does the bishop possibly ask Edwin if he and Brett gave Kristen a priesthood blessing to heal her? 
I guess we'll never find out, because that never gets mentioned in Elder Holland's story. A marvelous bishop started immediately for the hospital. If you're wondering if this marvelous bishop is going to lay hands upon Kristen at the hospital and bless her and heal her, well, you've probably already figured out the answer to that question by now. While Edwin drove on to the Hamlin household. There, he and his wife Charlotte, who had also come running, played with the five now motherless Hamlin children, ages 12 down to 3. And why are the five Hamblin children now motherless? I think you know the answer to that one, too. They fed them an evening meal, held an impromptu musical recital, and helped them get ready for bed. A music recital? Really, Elder Holland? I would hate to think what songs they were playing at the music recital. But I suppose since there really appears to be no priesthood power to heal anybody in the LDS Church, all that's left is to pick up the pieces. Brett told me later, the amazing part of this story isn't that Edwin came when I called. In an emergency, there are always people willing to help. No, the amazing part of the story is that he's the one I thought of. No, the amazing part of this story is that there is no amazing part of this story. What would have been amazing is if Brett and Edwin had given Kristen a priesthood blessing and if she had been healed. But in the absence of that, there is nothing whatsoever amazing about this story. But I suppose when there are no priesthood blessings that heal left in the church and no miracles and no revelation, we just have to find amazing stories where we can. And finally, rounding out our 11 stories in the April 2018 General Conference Death March comes the only woman entry in the competition. This is the talk given toward the close of the Sunday afternoon session by Jean Bingham, the Relief Society General President. She also gets in her licks with a story about no priesthood blessings to heal a poor mother, once again diagnosed with cancer, who once again will die from cancer because there's no priesthood around to heal her. Take it away, President Bingham. Let me give you an example. A mother was diagnosed with cancer. Soon she began treatment, and immediately the Relief Society sisters went to work, planning how to best help with meals, transportation to medical appointments, and other support. They visited her regularly, providing cheerful companionship. Now we understand why the sisters could not bless this poor mother with cancer and heal her because in the LDS Church, women are not allowed to hold the priesthood. But surely there must have been some men around who held the priesthood. Where were they? What were they doing? President Bingham answers that question next. At the same time, the Melchizedek Priesthood Quorum sprang into action. Well, thank God the Melchizedek Priesthood Quorum sprang into action. These are the guys who hold the Melchizedek Priesthood. These are the guys who have the priesthood power to bless and heal this poor mother from her cancer. Thank goodness they are on the scene. But do they give her a priesthood blessing? Well, apparently there are more important things to do than heal this woman of her cancer. They provided labor in adding a remodeled bedroom and bathroom to make it easier to care for the sick sister. 
But wait a second, wouldn't it be easier just to heal her of her cancer by the power of the priesthood? That way you wouldn't have to do all the remodeling. That way you could save in all the costs of remodeling. That way, this lady could still be around to listen to this general conference talk instead of having President Bingham talk about her in the past tense. The young men lent their hands and backs to participate in that significant effort. No, 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 not the young men. They only hold the ironic priesthood. They don't have the Melchizedek priesthood with the power to bless and heal. Get those Melchizedek priesthood guys back there. Oh, well, I guess they're too busy remodeling the house. Time to see what the young women can do, I suppose. And the young women got involved. They cheerfully arranged to faithfully walk the dog each day. As time passed, the ward continued their service, adding and adapting where necessary. It was clearly a labor of love. As time passed, President Bingham, clearly there was plenty of time and plenty of opportunity to give this lady a priesthood blessing and heal her. But I guess it just never occurred to anybody. They were too busy serving her and walking her dog. Each member giving of him or herself, unitedly showing caring in individual ways that blessed not only the suffering sister, but each member of her family. Now I want you to understand I'm not against this story on principle. It's wonderful that all the members of this suffering sister's ward came to help her out in various ways. The fundamental problem I have is that the LDS Church claims to be the only church on the earth that has the priesthood of God, and the priesthood of God has the power to heal sick people such as this suffering sister, and yet she is not healed. Any church could go over there and serve her. Any church could help out. Any church could walk her dog, but only the LDS Church has the priesthood power to heal her. I can't even look at where this story is going. Somebody tell me when it's over. Well, after a valiant effort, the sister finally succumbed to the cancer and was laid to rest. No, no, she died. You mean all the remodeling and all the walking of the dog didn't heal her. This is the problem I have with these stories. This is why I call this the General Conference Death March. This is the stark contrast between the theory and the church as enunciated by Elder Ballard at the very beginning of conference, that through faith we can move mountains, through faith we can do anything, and through the power of the priesthood we can heal the sick and the afflicted. That's the theory, and yet the reality is that nobody gets healed. Everybody dies. There are no stories in general conference about people being healed by the power of the priesthood. Instead, there are zero stories of people being healed by the power of the priesthood and 11 stories of people not being healed by the power of the priesthood. It is a 0-11 game. It is a shutout. And the game the LDS Church has been playing, that it has priesthood power to heal people, was finally called On Account of Rain. That's about all for tonight. Until next time, this is Radio Free Mormon, signing off the air.